Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. Now, it does have some extended capabilities, too, because even though you can't store an image in a JSON file, he has the ability for you to do things like add files, and I use it to add images, specifically in my case, into your dictionary as well. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. I'm excited to bring the first of two episodes with Scott Wilsey. In this first part, we're going to be diving into broadly how he uses the iPad, and then into shortcuts and wrapping up part one you'll be hearing a preview of an app coming out in 2020 called DataJar. And this is a wonderful little companion app to the Shortcuts app. And think it'll be helpful to hear just how Scott uses the app to get your mind around and grasp how you could use the app for your automations next year. If you enjoyed the podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Every review goes a really long way in helping others discover the show. You can also financially support the show over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. Every dollar is of huge help and is greatly appreciated. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast at gmail.com. With that, here's my interview with Scott. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tim. How are you? Doing well. So uh, can you first introduce yourself and kind of just broadly how you use the iPad today? Yeah. My name's Scott Wilsey, and I'm... Uh sometime podcaster. I'm actually doing some podcasting again now on uh, Bubble Sort TV. I use my iPad primarily for stuff related to that in terms of projects. Of course, I also use it for reading, watching video. I do some writing on it. And I actually do use your sponsor app, Agenda, at work. Although at work, everything is Windows there. And my iPad, I don't really use it there that often, but I do have my long-term project planning stuff in agenda, so I will take it to work and I will look at it there, but it's not something that I'm always using daily or hourly or whatever for work-related purposes that I have to integrate with stuff at work. So yeah, so primarily it's for personal use for projects, dipping into automation, doing podcasting-related stuff, editing in Ferrite, publishing podcasts, writing, that kind of stuff. And at work, it kind of serves as a kind of notebook with agenda a bit and like note taking and things like that. Yeah, I don't really take it into any meetings or anything like that. It's usually when I'm at my desk and I'm trying to figure out what my priorities are and try to remind myself of what I need to get done in this particular quarter, for example, and the projects that I have on my plate and figure out where I'm at with each of them. I use it for myself that way. And if I'm in a meeting with my boss, I'll have my iPhone and at times, I will put notes into Agenda on my phone real quick. And then later, when I'm sitting at my desk by myself, I might flesh those out a little bit more. Yeah. So for projects at home, it's both podcast production and websites. And uh, how much of it is done on your iPad versus do you still use a Macintosh for some of your tasks? And where does the kind of division of labor occur for you? Yeah, I do a lot of it on my iPad now. I do 100% of podcast editing on the iPad because I was using Logic on the Mac until Ferrite got to the point where I felt like it could completely replace Logic for me. At that point in time, I still didn't have my own iPad. But we had bought my daughter an iPad for school, and I started using Ferrite on that. So I would steal her iPad from her occasionally to edit podcasts on. And I thought, I have got to get myself an iPad again, because I hadn't had one since the iPad 2 came out. I I bought an iPad 2. 
I had it for a while. At some point, I gave it to my daughter once it started becoming slow. That was her first iPad that she had. Now she has the base iPad now, not the one that was just introduced, but the one that was just previous previous to that. I think it was a year or two ago now. Gotcha. So Apple Pencil, but no smart keyboard. Right. Correct. Cool. So I would steal that from her, and then I said, I, I can't keep doing this. I want to get, get one for my own. So I actually have the current iPad Air right now. Yeah, solid device. Uh, it's basically... What I'm saying behind right now, the 10 and a half inch Pro with a few things left out, a few things added. Yeah, it's solid. And then with that set up, uh, are you using the smart keyboard or a Bluetooth keyboard or just all touch? I do use the smart keyboard quite a bit. I have that. I went with that primarily because it was affordable. And also, I really like, I just like being able to snap it on and go and not worry about a Bluetooth connection, not worry about power, not worry about charging anything. Is it the world's greatest keyboard? No, but it certainly does what I want, and it has those advantages. The downside to it, of course, is at night, if I'm trying not to have light on, and (laughs) I don't want to disturb anybody, but sometimes I can't see what I'm typing, and the feel is not great enough to touch type in the dark with sometimes, so there is that. But aside from that caveat, I would say that it's a pretty good way to relatively inexpensively get a keyboard that you can take anywhere for your iPad. Yeah, I, I was as you were talking, I was thinking about glow in the dark technology where it would be backlit, but mm-hmm. just old school, it absorbs whatever you know sunlight and at night is able to just glow in the dark. That might not be what everyone would want, but that'd be an interesting solution. Uh, and I wonder if any people have modded their keyboards with like glow in the dark paint in any way to do that yeah i don't know it's i don't know why there's only certain keys that i have problems with at night but i use them a lot because typically i'm working on some shortcut and i'm typing regular expressions or i'm doing something where i need those weird keys and that's what i'm banging away at at night and that's what i start screwing up on and i get a little annoyed so kind of weird because i can do quite a bit of normal typing without having to worry about it. But for some reason, when I get into those extras, I keep reaching either just shy or just past the key that I want. And uh, I find myself wishing I had a keyboard that would light up. Yeah, it'd be nice if they figured that out one of these generations, adding some kind Mm -hmm. of backlight. I know it's a very hard problem to solve, but uh, at some point, that'd be really cool because that is something I run into as well. And, you know, crank the screen brightness maybe to to try to see a little bit more, but that's not a great solution either at night. You want to dim as possible actually yeah i have actually found myself tilting the ipad back so i could get the keyboard up and look at it but yeah yeah start working with the headlamp on but yeah that's the right. point you're not supposed to have lights on trying to have people sleep exactly yeah so let's dive into some of the apps and kind of automations you're working on with the ipad and mm-hmm. i just first want to discuss shortcuts and kind of shortcut kind of goes into many apps as we all know yep so with ipad os it's improved in some big ways what are the improvements that have really affected how you get work done on ipad and iphone even well the best things for me are that they got rid of the broken model that they had before which was really weird and i think we've all probably hated it was shortcuts were broken into two things there was shortcuts the app and then there was siri shortcuts right And that was a disconnect for a lot of people like, what? And it wasn't a fully thought out solution the way it is now. Yeah. And not only that, it was just painful to use because you would have to go into settings, into Siri shortcuts. And there was a couple different ways you could see your shortcuts for a given app or all apps, depending on how you went about it. But it would take time to load those. It was just broken. It was just weird. It would take forever because you'd go, oh, I can't remember the phrase I used or I can't remember which ones I actually put in there. Did I put this in there? And then you'd go in there and it would take time to load. They would appear. Or and which it was just... device even. Mm-hmm. It didn't yeah. sync. 
Right. So now you've got shortcuts where it's just in the app. All your shortcuts are there. You know what the phrase that you need to use is because it's the name of the shortcut. And that part of it has been really nice. That is probably, though, secondary to what I really like the best about it, and that is apps being able to donate more actions to shortcuts directly, which I really like because a lot of apps before kind of relied on URL schemes to give shortcuts functionality, and that's great. But once you've gone into shortcuts and you've actually used native actions that are donated by the app developers for shortcuts specifically, you don't want to use URL schemes anymore. It's just clunky and unsatisfying by comparison. Right. And were there any surprises based on the betas or initial announcements that once you start to get your hands on it this fall, were like, oh, this is actually useful and something you kind of discounted originally? I... Don't think I discounted anything originally. What I didn't wrap my head around initially was just what a big change it was having Siri shortcuts and shortcuts be the same thing. I knew what they were saying, but I didn't understand it until I tried it. And then I'm like, oh, I get this. They totally fixed this problem. That was one thing that I didn't really understand. I could conceptualize what they were talking about when they were talking about app developers being able to donate actions to it. What I didn't realize was just how cool it would become once app developers started doing that. For example, things like working copy is a Git client and being able to actually, in a shortcut, create branches, merge branches, delete branches. Basically, if you're going to publish a podcast episode and you also keep a Git repository of your site and you want to update that, well, guess what? You can do that within shortcuts now and you don't even have to think about it. It just happens. And that's the kind of stuff where I think shortcuts is becoming more powerful because to be honest, when shortcuts first came out, it seemed really cool and I'm all about the automation, but a lot of the examples people gave were just things that the only reason they were doing them is because it was possible, not because anybody ever wanted to do those things. And I don't want to do automation just for the sake of doing it, although, you know, it is fun to tinker with it and see what can be done and learn. That's fine, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is it also has to be useful. It has to be something that I want to do. And I feel like a lot of the shortcuts that people were originally coming up with were things that they were doing just because they wanted to do a shortcut. It didn't seem that useful. And I think now shortcut still has some frustrating limitations. And on iOS automation in general, there's some areas where it's almost there, but not quite. But it's so much more powerful now than it used to be that at least you can do a lot of things now that you couldn't do before. And you can also see where it's going. And there's definitely a lot more hope now than there was before. And what will be on your wish list for future automations that you'd like to be able to do but can't do because either shortcuts limitations or maybe a third-party app doesn't exist yet that could exist that could do this? There's a couple different things. One thing that I know that they're never going to give me, at least I don't think Apple's ever going to give me, what I would really like is to be able to do shortcuts in code. And I would like to be able to interchange the two. Like, I want to be able to drag blocks around sometimes, but there's also times where I really just want to type code in a text editor because it's so much more concise. Using blocks can be clunky and verbose. It takes a lot of blocks and a lot of space and a lot of weird contorted logic sometimes to do things that you would do differently if you just had access to the programming language itself. And I would just like to be able to mix the two because sometimes I just want to bust into a text mode and type it out in code, get the logic out that way. I know they're never going to give it to me, but even if it was as simple as something like AppleScript, it would help. But if it was something that could be done in Swift or something like that. Now, what I'm saying is not too dissimilar from what Scriptable does for example, but Scriptable has its limitations because it's not an Apple thing. It, it's, it has limitations that it can't overcome because it's not part of the platform. That model, though, 
would be extremely satisfying if it was something that Apple would also provide for people who wanted it. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's one thing that I would want. The other thing I would want are things like, give me some networking tools. Give me some built-in FTP, you know, stuff that I can do on the command line on my Mac. Give me those things. Uh, I want to be able to command line generate SSH keys, command line SFTP, command line SSH, that kind of stuff. Give me that inside of shortcuts. Because you can do that currently with third-party apps that integrate with shortcuts, but you want it native. Yeah, because there are some limitations still. There are some problems. Like shortcuts itself seems to have timeouts related to how long specific actions can take. And so you run into issues where the thing is still taking place and it's not a problem with the third-party app, but it's a problem with shortcuts giving up and going, okay, well, I guess we're done here. Things like that. Whereas if Apple was controlling that widget and giving you that functionality, you wouldn't have that problem. Right. So things like that, little things like that. I'm just asking for base kind of improvements. Just give me a little more power, make it a little less clunky for me to do some of the things that I want to do. We're getting there, but I also like to use the command line on the Mac and I'm fine with doing stuff like that. So I know what it's like to have all the raw power at your hands. And I'm not asking for them to make the iPad a Mac, but I wa- I do want a little more power for people that want it on, the I- on iOS as well. Yeah. So switching gears a bit, let's dive into a third-party app that this one isn't even out yet. It's called Data Jar. Right. It's by the developer of Scriptable, we just just mentioned. Yes. We'll bring up later on the show. So I am not on this beta. I've heard of this app, and I've heard wonderful things. I think this app's coming out probably early 2020, but there is no real target launch date quite yet. Correct, yeah. But can you describe what the app is and some examples of how we're using it right now? Yeah, so the way that Simon first mentioned it was basically as a data store for shortcuts. And it was something that I had also been tossing around in my mind. A lot of people use Airtable. And I've looked at Airtable, and Airtable's nice. It has some advantages. It has templates and stuff like that that you can look at and come up with. Basically, the way a lot of these simple databases work now is they're kind of like a spreadsheet, but queryable like a database. I guess I would categorize Airtable like that. And it's fine. It's just, I don't always want something that's in the cloud. Sometimes I just want a local data repository or something that can be synced via iCloud, but it's not a service that I have to worry about going away at some point or paying for at some point, or I can get some basic functionality, but if I really want it to be useful, I have to pay more, that kind of thing. Right. Sometimes I just want a place to persist data. And that's what Data Jar is. It's a place to persist data that you generate or want to get back to from shortcuts. And so it is based on JSON underlying it all. It's just JSON file or files, but you don't have to know that because when you're using it in shortcuts, you're basically pulling dictionaries out and you're looking at, you're iterating through things as though they're dictionaries. And then you can also look at the app itself, the UI, and look at the objects you've created in little blocks. So it has a very nice visual UI component. You don't open the app and look at a JSON file. You open the app and you look at little bricks of data, and you go into a brick, and hey, there's another dictionary, so now there's five more bricks in there or whatever, and it shows your data in there, whether it be a text string. Now, it does have some extended capabilities too, because even though you can't store an image in a JSON file, he has the ability for you to do things like add files, and I use it to add images, specifically in my case, into your dictionary as well, and I do that. And I don't know exactly how he's doing that, so I guess what I'm saying is I have taken my dictionaries out and saved them as text files, JSON, and then, of course, that image isn't there. So I don't know exactly what he's doing, but it's not just... It's JSON plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more than just 
generating a JSON file, but it, but it's based on JSON internally, but you don't really have to worry about that. So it's basically just a data store, and it gives me the ability to do things that, for example, in the past, I was doing some things, and I was putting them in a draft file, and drafts is great. I like drafts, but it's not a database, and querying that stuff is impossible, and it kind of goes in, and then getting it back out again or using it again becomes difficult. That's where I think DataJar is going to fulfill a need. And more permanent kind of files versus drafts, which is more in the moment, I'd say, temporary almost. I think a lot of people use it that way, but I don't. I actually have a lot of stuff in drafts that stays in drafts. Okay. I have a lot of work-related stuff that stays there. What I use it for a lot of times is reference stuff that I don't want cluttering up anything else. Because the nice thing about drafts is it's super lightweight. It's easy to get in, easy to get out. I don't want to use something like Ulysses or IA Writer for work-related notes, because to me, those feel like more like writing project-oriented tools. Whereas drafts, it's just all about the text. And then you can also manipulate it with JavaScript or other actions, stuff like that, which is nice. But I'm not one of those people that clears out all my stuff. I've got a lot of different workspaces in drafts, and I've got a lot of stuff that stays in there permanently. So You mentioned the di- it's a nice, pretty graphical interface over mm-hmm. dictionaries. Is that right? Yeah. So could you build out like a calendar dictionary to or some kind of if you're working with an API that deals with a certain time code that's kind of confusing but you could write a dictionary for it you could put that in in data jar versus because shortcuts has a dictionary function right I guess the advantage is this is easier to get data into it and also get access to from multiple shortcuts is that kind of where the advantage lies? The latter one is definitely where the advantage lies. I don't think it really gives you anything that you can't do inside of shortcuts already. But what it does do is it persists your data. So you could do this across multiple shortcuts, like you said, your data stays there. So like, for example, have an app store wish list for one. And I used to have two different actions. I had an iPhone wish list and an iPad wish list. And if I'm on my iPhone, and I'm in the app store on the iPhone, I would save it to a draft that was for my iPhone app wish list because as you know for whatever reason apple doesn't have wish lists for the app store i don't know why they do for other stuff and then i would have one for the ipad well now it just all goes in the same place and i can even store stuff from the mac app store in there if i want to because on ios i can see it and it just tells me oh that's just for the mac but i can still save its uh, store link and its information in there and so those i can look at from any device i have now all my wish lists combined in one it just persists it never goes away and i can query it i can look for keys i can look for app store app IDs because each app has a URL in the store and there's an ID associated with it or I can look by app name stuff like that and that's the kind of thing where it really excels is it persists that data whereas with shortcuts you create all the dictionaries you want you can do whatever you want with the data inside the shortcut but once the shortcut's done all that stuff is out of scope it's just gone you don't have that data anymore so right and you mentioned images are you dragging and dropping images in or picking from kind of the photo library or how does that all work no what i'm actually doing let's so in this in the case of the app store wish list what i'll do is i will share from the app in the app store to the shortcut and what the shortcut will do is it'll grab all the information about the app, including the artwork for the app. Okay. And it just puts that artwork in there. And then I also have another one that I use, which is sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts that I might want to refer to later, like your show is a good example, actually, because you have guests on that talk about topics and apps that I want to remember, and I want to be able to refer to later. It's not a listening in the background thing at all. It's something I want to pay attention to, and I might want to refer back to it later. So 
what I have is I have a shortcut that will log those. It used to be drafts, and now it's data jar. And so it'll save them in a dictionary inside of data jar called favorite podcasts. And then inside that dictionary, each podcast episode that I'm saving gets its own dictionary. And that has five elements. One of them is the date that I listened to the podcast on. It's got the episode name. It's got the podcast name. It's got the overcast episode URL. And then it has the artwork for the podcast just because I like it. it. I like looking at it. It makes me happy. So that's another case where the artwork goes in there. And all that stuff is just scraped from the overcast page. My shortcut handles it. I never even have to worry about it. It just dumps the artwork in there for me. I, there's nothing I do. My shortcut that I created a long time ago does all that stuff for me. And just based on that URL, data jar will tell you in a graphical way, here's what can be extracted. What do you want me to grab from that? Uh, no, it doesn't do that. So all data jar is, is a receptacle for whatever you do. So basically my shortcut, when I log it, my shortcut takes the overcast URL. It goes to the overcast episode page for the podcast. I strip out some things that I know are there. And if Marco ever changes them, I'll have to edit my shortcut a little bit. And then I basically parse out certain things using uh, regular expressions and then I take the pieces of information that I want and I create a key for each of those inside the episode dictionary. So it's not that data jar recognizes what's there and asks me what I want. Now, data jar does let you choose what type of data type you're putting in. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask how easy is this for someone to get into that isn't into code and how deep do you, do you have to be in developer terms of knowledge to use data jar well i mean if you're already creating shortcuts then it's no more difficult than that because literally what you're doing is you're telling data jar here's the key and here's the value i want to associate with that key and the value can be a text string a number a boolean a file, a list, or another dictionary. And so it's really the same as what you're already doing in shortcuts if you're creating shortcuts. Okay. It's no more complex than that from the user's point of view. And have you explored if it's possible to save MP3 chapters within a data jar? Well, no, because I don't know of any way to get that information from Overcast in the first place. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that's possible or not. I mean, you could do it, but it would be a manual process. You'd have to get the names of the chapters and, and put them in somehow. Gotcha. The other option, I guess, would be data jar somehow downloading the MP3 and it having a parser for that data within that bigger file. That would have to take place inside a shortcut more than anything. And then yeah. that shortcut would pass that on to data jar as just strings of text that would go in there. But you can look at file metadata. I don't think you could probably grab that information. That's another thing that I'm talking about with iOS right now, where the automation is quite good, but there are some things that we can't do. For example, play length. So in Mac on the Finder, when you get info about a, an audio file, not only does it show you the byte size and all that good stuff that you can get in iOS, it also shows you the play length of the audio file. In iOS, you can't get that information. So my published podcast shortcut, I actually have to enter that. And, it, and I do grab as all the metadata that I can from the MP3 of the podcast episode that I'm publishing, but I can't get that one. So that's just one more piece of data that I have to put into my shortcut that I wouldn't have to if Apple would give that to me. Because you're doing a manual RSS feed versus like a Pippa or Libsyn or Blueberry kind of service, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not a manual RSS. It's generated. So the podcast that I'm publishing right now for bubble sort those are on my friend Vic's server he uses hugo which is a static website generator 
But basically, all you have to do is create a an episode page for the episode using a markdown file. And then when it compiles it, it adds it to the RSS automatically. I, I never have to touch the RSS. Okay. You have to feed it the right data, though. You can't just upload Correct. the yeah, audio yeah. and it, it figures it out. Right, right, right. There has to be an episode file associated with it and then it compiles that so that it, that page exists on the website like anytime anyone else publishes an episode and so on and so forth and then it takes that and it adds it to the podcast rss feed as well as the site rss yeah that's the kind of thing that that you brought up where i would like more is more capabilities more information about files if, for example just something as simple as dealing with file extensions can be very difficult in ios and it's the kind of maddening thing where it's so simple on the mac and you know that ios has all that information internally just please expose it to people who want to do automation yeah so shortcuts also deals with files but in a way that I'm not too keen on, it uh, forces you, if you're trying to save a file, to save it in the shortcuts directory. Or you can spend the time picking it from a location in a pop-up window. Right. Does DataJar improve that system of being able to save stuff more automatically versus just in the shortcuts directory? So when you're saving stuff to DataJar, you're just passing it off to an API. Like You're just passing it off to another brick in your shortcut. And then what DataJar does with it is it's saving it in iCloud somewhere. I don't think where it's saving it to is available in iCloud Drive for you to visualize, for you to see. Okay, gotcha. But you can make backups to iCloud Drive, which I do. I would like for him to add the capability for you to do a backup through a shortcut. That would be nice, because that way whenever I add a favorite podcast into my favorite podcast list, I want to make a backup especially right now since it's in beta i I like to make backups of that but yeah so you don't even have to worry about that it's just a it's again it's like you were creating a a regular shortcut dictionary that apple gives you however it's going to persist when you're done it's no different than that as far as what you're doing but then that data persists so you don't have to worry about choosing files and stuff like that or it's only in one location that you might need to remember where that location is inside the shortcuts folder that all that stuff doesn't matter it doesn't really apply to that okay And is there anything else about DigiJar you want to cover before we move on? I just think it's a really clever... It has some issues right now with syncing where things get out of whack between my iPhone and my iPad. And in fact, uh, Simon knows about it. I've made some screencasts for him so he would see what I was talking about. But Simon's a great guy. He does great products. This is really beautiful looking app and it's a clever solution to a problem that I had already been thinking about because the Airtable solution dissatisfied me for my own personal reasons and just how I am and what I wanted to do and apparently it did for Simon too so when he came up with the solution I got all excited and I think it's going to be something that maybe it's hard for people to conceptualize now but once it comes out and people start using it I think they're really going to like it. Well that was the first part of my conversation with Scott the next episode, we will be diving even deeper into some rather technical things, and I'm excited to share that with you next time. As mentioned at the top of the episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. Every review really does help others discover the show through better search and discovery in Apple Podcasts. You can also financially support the show over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. Thank you. If you currently are a Patreon supporter, your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. And with that, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to everyone again real soon.